right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time for that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Hey. And on today's edition of the show, Colorado is back. Who? They came a crawling back to the Big 12. Did what? Colorado, baby. Uh, we're also going to be joined by a couple of guests on today's show. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star going to talk some Chiefs football camp receiver position, Kadarius Tony, Chris Jones, contract stuff, all that and more with Jesse Newell coming up later this hour. We've got three RCST trivia matchups today, a Jayhawk football rewind, and Marquez Webb, the KU women's basketball assistant coach, came over from uh, Mercer and Vanderbilt, is going to join the show in the 5 o'clock hour. Loaded show. It's going to be a fun one. Let's get right into it with Colorado joining the Big 12. They will be joining the Big 12 for 2024. So this will be their final year in the Pac-12. And then basically, once Oklahoma and Texas leave next offseason, you'll be adding Colorado. Will you add someone else or will you be at 13? We'll get to that conversation There's a bunch of reports about supposedly, oh, all these ADs are meeting. There's a dude. This is like, this is incredible to me. Every day it's like very important, very to top secret meeting that also I was informed of about. And now everyone knows about it. Very important top secret meeting though, happening in Oregon, Oregon State, Arizona. Everyone everyone's having top secret meetings, but they're not top secret because everyone knows about them. Yeah. So what does that tell you about that? Uh I don't even know. Does it tell you that people are just making stuff up and uh, does it tell you that I don't know people are playing? I don't know. The honestly, the whole the whole part of this that is making it I think fun for a lot of people is how adamant that a lot of Pac-12 officials, Pac-12 media people were yeah, that there was like, no way this could happen. Fine. Everything, Everything is fine. Is no chance fine. would anybody leave for the And now you're going to get the turn of this that you're going to get some of those people being like, well, Colorado is not that valuable anyway. And yes, I, I would agree that, yeah, Colorado compared to, you know, Oregon and Washington, of course it's not as valuable. But it's what this represents. Yeah, dude. It's the, it's the domino effect. Yes. It doesn't matter if it's Colorado or if it's Oregon that jumps first. It doesn't matter if it was it's Oregon the first, State. Exactly. Right? It's the first domino it, it's of red herring. more than likely to be many. Yes. Um, I love this for everyone, though, because to me, Colorado, to me, has more value in the Big 12 than they do the Pac-12. Um, and that's not just because I guess the Pac-12 could be dying here, but it's also because you think back to Colorado and traditionally you think of them as, I think even less than a big 12, a big eight team, right? It was, it was, yeah. you think back to the great days in like the eighties and the nineties when you had Colorado, Nebraska, Kansas, Missouri, like some of these schools that Oklahoma, that you had these great games. I mean, I think back to, gosh, was it, was it 1995? I want to say, um, when, the the Big Eight was just like absolutely loaded. Yeah, I think it was 1995 because that was the year that Kansas won the uh, Aloha Bowl and uh, they won double digit games. You had no wait, no, I'm sorry, that's the wrong season. Am I thinking? What am I thinking of? I don't know. Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, no, maybe it is Big Eight. Okay, I'm I'm just completely ruining this. Nonetheless, um, 
you think back to some of those great teams, and, like, Colorado was a really good football team when it was the Big Eight. Like, I mean, they were consistently – they won a national title in, yeah. like, the early 90s. Yeah. Um, this is a team who was constantly going to bowl games, winning lots of games, constantly being ranked. Um, you also – even when it was, like, the early stages of the Big 12, when it was the North and the South, like – Colorado, a lot of years, was the team that was winning the North and yeah. was going they, to they the championship. They were in the Pac-12 title game in their third or fourth year in the Pac-12. Yeah. Uh, by the way, it was 1995. Nebraska won the national title. They went 12-0, and won the conference. Second place in the conference was a three-way tie between Colorado, who finished the regular season ranked seventh, and then won the Cotton Bowl over 12th-ranked Oregon 38-6. to Kansas State was part of the tie. They were ranked 10th at 10-2. and They beat Colorado State in the Holiday Bowl. And then Kansas was also part of the tie. They were ranked 11th at the end of the regular season, beat UCLA. So you had you had four teams of an eight-team conference that went 10-2 and two or better and all finished the regular season ranked 11th or higher. I mean, those are the glory days, right, of the Big A. <laughs> and now you get back. Now you don't have Nebraska, obviously, but you, you get those back. Uh, CU was way better in the Big A and the Big 12 than they ever were in the Pac-12. Um, I think it's a good brand now that you're adding, like, at least an interesting brand might be the way of putting it with Deion Sanders. Yeah. No, that's true. Yeah. They've traditionally hey, been a very hey, solid basketball team. Coach Prime. That's right. Come on, man. I guess we got to get to know that now. Coach Prime. Basketball-wise, they're consistently – they're not, you know, an elite basketball school, but they've consistently been a tournament team. Yeah, they're usually pretty decent. Right, which if if you're adding that, like, nothing wrong with that, which just adds to what has been just an unbelievable basketball conference. So, okay. They're actually supposed to be pretty good this year. Is Brett Yormark a liar, or was he just telling the long-term truth? When? Think about it. Originally, when he first joined, he was like, we're going to go crazy. We're going to expand whatever we want, open for business, whatever. Then, at Big 12 Media Days, he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Actually, not so fast. Mm -hmm. We're going to see how things play out. And now this happens. So, as as I saw a couple people reporting, um, and, and I don't know the truth to this necessarily, but this could be why. So, if we go back to those comments Brett Yormark made at this media day, he basically said, we'd like to get to 14, but we're not chasing a number. Basically, yes. the way that I read that was him saying, we're not just going to go to 14 to go to 14. So we're not going to, you know, we're not going to be like, we have to get to 14. Let's add Memphis and let's add whatever else. But if we can get Colorado, if we can get Arizona, if we can get some of these Pac-12 schools, then I'm very interested in getting to 14. That's how I read that to where it was like the offers open to them. But it's going to be dependent on what they want to do. And if they don't want to do it, then we're not just going to add some random school. And so I think I think some of the reporting on what I, what I saw happened was apparently Colorado has been, as I'm sure a lot of the Pac-12 schools are like this, as we have even been, and we don't even have like... Yeah, we don't even have a, a stake in the game. In, in the Pac-12 side of it, right? Yes. Um, like, when is the media deal going to come out? When are you going to have this, <laughs> right? And so then Pac-12 media days happen. And I would imagine a lot of the Colorado officials, while you're there, whether it's actually getting asked yeah, questions I mean, publicly or even behind it, the scenes. Yeah, exactly. Not only is it, you know, media mostly days, that. but it's a lot of everybody the behind top the scenes. guys are there to have a chance to see each yes. other in person. And they're talking to each other behind the scenes and you have media people talking to you off the record like what the heck's going on here and you get annoyed. You get bothered by having to answer all these these questions yeah. about what's yeah. going on here. So apparently Colorado it. asked the Pac-12 like officially they were like, "Okay, can we, just show us something. Show us something. Show us some numbers." And the Pac-12 was like, "No." And that was the last straw and they were like, "All right, fine. We've given you enough time." We got to make a move eventually, and so that becomes when it happens. I think that's maybe what's most important here for the Big Twelve, though. 
because as, as much as I do like the Colorado brand and it's a fun place to go to a game and you do have Deion Sanders and good basketball school, at the end of the day, it's more important for what it could mean long term because you basically have a, a shaky situation here in the Pac-12. And could this be the thread that, that makes everything fall apart for them to yeah. where you're going to get even more benefit from this? Yeah, and I think this is where Brett Yormark may be the right guy at the right time for the Big 12 as a commissioner in that it's, I think it's pretty clear that Brett Yormark is not going to wait. We'll he's, go back two years ago. Bob Bullsby approached the Pac-12 about a merger where they would have a conference merger. They'd basically be, they'd share media rights deals and you know maybe they'd have some non-conference, whatever the merger, whatever that would entail. Pac-12 said no. So Brett Yormark comes in and he says, all right, fine, you don't want to play with us? We're playing we're against gonna, you. Yeah, we're just going to steal everything. And the Pac-12 joined that stupid alliance merger with the Big Ten that did nothing for them. If anything, <laughs> maybe it, it, I don't know, it got planted the seeds with of USC and yeah, UCLA to join, exactly. right? Yeah. Um, so it killed them. They, they have just kind of mishandled this all the way through. They had the opportunity for either a kill shot of the Big 12. They could have added schools both about a decade ago and a couple years ago, or they could have been friends with the Big 12. They yeah. decided against both. I mean, I think as recently as, a, as like, you know, within the last 18 to 24 months, even a little bit further back, like, the the status of the Big 12 and the Pac-12 were both pretty much in question. Yeah. I mean, right? And if either conference had really developed the cojones, so to speak, to just be like, you know what? This is how we're going to play. It's you against us. That's how it's going to go. Yep. And guess who did it first? The Big 12. And guess who's going to be a formidable conference and continue to survive as a conference that is probably still at this at, as of right now a tier below SEC Big Ten, but very very much the next best. Yeah, and I mean, the Pac-12 is going to be potentially non-existent. I mean, the pro-rata clause that that they were able to work in the TV deal that made everything possible here to where you could still add other schools and not dilute the payments. Yeah, uh, that made it all possible. So I mean, yeah. Now it becomes what will the Pac-12 do? I mean, from a from a brand perspective, I can you tell you could what argue they'll do. nothing because that's what they've been doing for likely. the past three Most years. Likely. If they did add like randomly, if today they all of a sudden came out and were like, we're adding San Diego State. Would switching Colorado for San Diego State be that big of a deal for them? No, I don't, I don't think, think it so, would. Probably. Right? I mean, you yeah. can make the argument San Diego State be was better, because, better fit for them, right? Yeah, it might actually Geographically, be because, yeah, it makes San Diego State's been really good at, at both sports, yeah. right? So, so you could actually argue that they could be okay if that's something that they want to do. But I think more than anything, it's just the instability that this represents. Like they obviously were having a hard enough time getting a media deal, and if you're in negotiations now, even if the Pac-12 does approach you now and goes. Hey, we're just going to swap San Diego State with Colorado, and it's it's a net equal or it's a net win for or should, whatever it ends up should being. Should you and I get involved in the Pac-12 media deal discussions? Should we just create our own <laughs> network and just be like, we'll stream it, we'll, we'll stream, stream it on our games. radio station? Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll stream all your games. Yeah, no, I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to be a part of a sinking ship. Um, but like, if if you're doing that in media in in the media negotiations, the the media company is going to come back and be like, listen, if you can guarantee me that all the other schools are sticking around and you just switched out San Diego State for Colorado. Okay, I'm cool with that, and that's fine, and we can um, do whatever we were going to do. Though, keep in mind, if they haven't gotten there with Colorado, if it's just a net equal San Diego State, they probably won't get there anyway. But if I'm the media company, I'm going, okay, but even if you do add San Diego State for Colorado, at this point in time, with how much instability there's been, who's to say that you don't add San Diego State or Fresno State or one of these other, whatever, UNLV, Boise State, and then all of a sudden, the next day, Arizona asks out, and I got into a media deal with you under false pretenses, and now there are more schools asking out. Now that Arizona's asking out, these other schools are asking out. Like, it's it's such a mess. And then add to it, if you're a media company, 
you're going, hey, there's so much instability here. I'm not going to give you a long-term contract. We're going to give, yeah. I'll give you a three-year contract. I'll give you a five-year contract to where the Pac-12s, even if they do get that contract agreed to, fast forward a few more years, they might be in the same spot. Well, here's the other thing I don't understand. In the modern era of the internet, of the ability to have instant communication literally across the world, anytime, anywhere, as the Pac-12, how are you not keeping your member schools up to date on what is going on in very important discussions and negotiations that will determine the future of your conference? Mm-hmm. How are you not keeping them in the loop? How are you not keeping them updated on what's going on? I don't understand that at all. How are you? How do you not have everyone looped in and say, hey, listen, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. Here's everything's going on. Dude, you, you can send an email. It takes five seconds. I, I don't understand how you don't. How you have such a how at least from the outside I guess I mean I don't I don't know since sure. we're, we're not there but from an outside perspective it, how do you have like so so much miscommunication among your own member schools this I is, mean from the Colorado stuff with the reports of they don't they don't they don't even know Colorado doesn't even know if they don't know I think it's safe to assume the other member schools probably don't right. know either how do you have that much miscommunication with your member schools on such a critical issue this is just me spitballing and guessing here. As to what's going on there, to, to what you just touched on, um, could be completely wrong, but this is this is my view of it. I am under the assumption that a lot of these schools in the Pac-12 are operating under the, because I forget what the exact number, it's 31 or 32 million, somewhere in there that the Big 12 is going to distribute out, right? That a lot of these Pac-12 schools are under the guise of, you know, you don't necessarily have to get above that or to that number even. Like, if you can get us to $28 million, if you can get us to $27 million, is it really worth us destroying the history of this conference and, you know, geographically making all this this issues over an extra $3 million a year? Probably not. Just get us within range. But also, not just get us in range, we don't want half our games on, I think Ross Dellinger wrote about that specifically today uh, from Sports Illustrated, that a lot of the ads want to make sure not just it's not just about the money it's about they want to make sure that uh not like less than half the games will be on streaming places like they want more than half the games to be on like, like accessible cable tv right or, or national funny, tv or whatever the big 12 kind of did the opposite a little with, bit uh, with like big 12 ESPN now and yeah. ESPN plus yeah. where with like on the basketball side at least where but i still think more of the games are going to be on cable tv than Oh, yeah. Streaming, no, right? in, foot, in football, yes. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's part of it, too. And so I think what happens here is that I'm sure the Pac-12, it's like they probably have a couple packages where it's like, hey, we can get to $28 million, but 60% of our games are on streaming. Or we can take the one where it's like, well, 60% of our games are on national TV or cable TV, but they're only giving us $22 million to where like there's one thing that's wrong with it and they, they can't present it yet. And they're basically holding the schools hostage because they but know again, how do you keep you got to keep in the loop this is what they're doing they know that if they present it if they say that's what's happening these schools are more likely to be like oh this is not looking good we're gone they're basically trying to hold them prisoner and be like well you don't know what it is for all you know it is really good and you're not going to make a move until we actually have the deal presented which gives us more time to negotiate and figure this out eventually schools are just going to get mad they're going to be like okay, this well, is taking yeah. too long and happened. then colorado yeah, exactly. happens guess what happened colorado yes. called your bluff Exactly. They don't think you have anything. Yeah. Well, it's, it's tough for the Pac-12, too, because right now, because they don't have this new media deal, you hear all the time. Like, we, we talked about the San Diego State situation, where you have to pay, if you're a school, your conference to leave 
if you're leaving early from your exit fees. Yeah. Because the Pac-12 doesn't have this future media deal, you know how much it costs Colorado to leave the Pac-12 for the Big 12 next year? I don't know. Zero dollars. Really? I did zero. not know that. Zero, zero, zero. That's insane. Free 99. Um, which means that the Pac-12 is in a very uncomfortable position. Because they do not even have leverage on retaining any of these schools where any of these other schools can be like, ah, but we're going to have to pay $30 million. If we-. No, they don't have to pay anything if they leave. And on top of it, if you're a school that is coming from another conference, like San Diego State, they're going to have to pay whatever it is, like $16, $17 million to leave the Mountain West to come to the Pac-12 for next year. Um, the Pac-12 can't be like, hey, we'll help you out with that. Hey, we'll help you out. We'll, we'll throw you $5 million. We'll throw you $10 million to help you pay for that so you can come to the conference because we really want you to other schools to get them to join. They can't do that because they don't have this media deal where they're going to have money to do that. So it becomes problematic. So the Pac-12, it is not looking great. There is avenues for them to kind of squeak around it. But also it becomes what is the Big 12 going to do, right? Like Big 12 surely isn't going to be ah, 13. We'll sit at 13. Big 13? No, they're going to add more, right? Big, big, you know, big 13, you don't like that? No, not really. Do you think if they get, uh, let's see. do you think they're going to try to become the Big Fourteen, or do you think they'll just stay, the Dude, Big Twelve? They'll just stay. The Big Ten has been the Big Ten for the last decade. But they, they went have from the Big teams. Eight to the Big Twelve, so they've shown more movability than the Big Ten. <laughs> the Big Ten has been at fourteen teams for a decade. But that's because it's a history thing. No, they. Uh, I mean, and also it's like with the Big Ten, it's not just a history thing. With the Big 12, you have Brett Yormark, who is very forward-thinking, might be the way of putting it. Um, what are some good things that rhyme with 14? <laughs> or it could be alliteration. The thrifty, the, the, no. the furious 14. The furious, yeah. The fine 14. <laughs> the sturdy 14. Uh-huh. How do you feel about sturdy? I like sturdy. I see, sturdy yeah. 14. What if we go with the Brett Yormark, we want to be worldwide thing, and it's the worldwide 14? <laughs> <laughs> WW14 or just the worldwide conference the WWC I like that you know worldwide conference yeah that's pretty good those could work uh, nonetheless right now if, if you're the big 12 there's options out there like if any of these other big 12 school or pac 12 schools want to come now with Utah and Arizona State those were both ones that the big 12 seemed to target about a year or two ago but both of those have been kind of adamant against the big 12 like Arizona State's president has been very much like uh not wanting to do it Utah's been very against it I don't know if it's because BYU is in the league or what it yeah, seems dude, like Arizona what? was one that a lot of people were saying. And recently, a lot of people have been rumoring Oregon, which that would be the biggest land if you could have it. Yes, I think so. Is or- Do you think Oregon's the biggest in the Pac-12 right now? I think so. Who else would? I mean, Washington's Washington, a big I one, guess. right? Oregon, I mean, you're getting the Nike money in there. Yeah. Stanford probably doesn't want to do much for you. I don't think Stanford even wants to join the— I. I I almost well, but with some of these school, with some of those West Coast schools, you get into the academic side of like academically, wanna, obviously, it'd be Stanford. Yeah, what I'm saying, like, would they want to? You know what I mean? Right. That's why I don't think Stanford would. I like think your Stanford, Cal, your Stanford, Stanford would almost be like, we're going to join the Ivy League or we're going to go independent. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah no, that makes sense. So I, I think those are the ones I'm looking at. How many if, would they add? Are they going to go to 15? Dame, are they going to go to 16? What if Notre Dame and NBC swoop in and they're like, <laughs> hey? Let's create, you know, like the no, super snob. No, they'll just the Big Ten. The super snob. Oh, conference. with Stanford. Yeah. Super snob conference. <laughs> like I'd Stanford, love the name. Cal, Notre Dame. Uh, in there. Who else? Other uh, high level institutions. <laughs> I don't know. That'd be kind of funny. I'd be actually all for that. The smart people conference. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It's like we want we want something that's you know uh, basically a West Coast version of the Ivy League. Yeah. 
plus Notre Dame. <laughs> that would be funny. Well, I, I Notre Dame had. I mean, Notre Dame they have the exclusive NBC deal, so they yeah they do. You know, if no, if NBC anything, it feels like to, they join the Big Ten at this point, but I don't know. Um, at this dude, point, if they join the Big Ten, they have to share revenue with thirty other schools, right? Which if is they why create the Smart People Conference. <laughs> They only have to do it with like five of the schools. Yeah. Or, or they can just share schools. it with themselves, which is what they're currently doing. <laughs> At this point, I would be surprised if the Big 12 didn't add a 14th. It feels like to me you're going to scour through the Pac-12 as much as possible. Maybe you even are comfortable adding three Pac-12 schools and getting up to 16. And then if you do get to a point where it's like, well, we are at 13 and we couldn't add any more Pac-12s, or maybe then, we added two more and got to 15, then at that point, like UConn, UConn or Gonzaga, Gonzaga maybe become like the backups. Yep. But I, I feel good that the Big 12 is going to eventually be 14 or 16. One of the two. I would agree with that. I mean, 13 is, an, first of all, 13 is an unlucky number. Okay. <laughs> Can't say a 13. Mm-hmm. So we need to get to 14 or 16. It's the way it's going. It's or way you it's can going. do 15 and have like three divisions of five. That'd be kind of fun. That would be. You play everyone in your division once. Once. You play in football. two teams from each of your other two divisions. Yeah. And that gets you Wouldn't nine. And then in basketball, you play home and homes with the four in your division. That's eight. You'd play like a home and home with maybe one team from the other divisions, and then. Well, no, I was going to say if you just do home and homes with the four in your division, that gets you to eight, and then there's ten other teams in the conference, oh, right? So you just play everybody else once, and it's an eighteen-team league schedule. Wow, that's pretty good. That actually works out, dude. You've got Brett, me on board. Fifteen, Brett. Conference. If you're listening, if you're listening, Brett, fifteen teams. Yeah. Five, three divisions of five. Make Boom. it happen. We figured it out. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Jesse Newell will join us uh, in about 15 minutes from right now. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Joined now by Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star. You can check out all his work as well online at KansasCity.com. Chiefs training camp has gotten rolling here and day one was uh, big news with, I guess, a couple ways. Chris Jones, contract situation, Kadarius Tony seems like those have been kind of the biggest headlines, the receiver position and Chris Jones so far. Uh, with Kadarius Tony tweaking his knee, there were some, I don't know, slightly optimistic comments about him possibly being back by week one. How realistic do you think it is, though, that Kadarius Tony A, is back and playing 100% by week one, and B, that he is actually in it for the long haul that we can expect, I don't know, even double-digit games, 12, 13, 14 games from Kadarius Tony this year. Yeah, I think I fall somewhere in the middle of all that. Um, I, you know, is it is it time to write off his career and just say he's injury-prone for the rest of his life? I, I don't, I'm not going there. But is this a concern that, like, the first drill of the first practice that he hurts himself? And then it seems to be a, a pattern with him if you go back in his injury history. And, you know, based off the movements he makes on a football field, we saw that big punt return, the longest punt return in Super Bowl history last year. Based on what he does there, it does his body sometimes move in a way that you would think is not natural for a body to move and potentially could lead to being injured more? Yeah, I do think so. And so, you know, he wants to be out there week one. I mean, the, the question is if you rush yourself back and, and really set that as a goal for week one, is that what – he should want is that what the Chiefs should want because this is a long season and we know the Chiefs limited touches last year. And if you're hurrying your way back from an injury, sometimes what happens uh, when you do that? You lead yourself to more injury because you're trying to, to get on the field maybe a little bit quicker than you should. So I think everybody's trying to be optimistic at this point. Um, will he play week one? I guess it's a possibility. That's what Andy Reid said. That's what kind of is being indicated out there. And it doesn't seem like the surgery he had was uh, too severe in nature, where otherwise that would 
you know, discussion will be off the table. But, you know, that's in the best interest of the Chiefs, especially for a player who's been hurt so much and uh, needs potentially to, to have more time to ramp up and get back in there and get in game shape. Uh, I don't know that's the best thing for them. So will he be back for week one? Maybe, could be. Um, I'm sure that's what they're aiming for. But if he does that and then gets himself injured really early again, I think all of us will have some questions about the Chiefs, how they handle this, and potentially their long-term plan for Katerius Tony, knowing all of the paths that he does have. It seems like every receiver outside of Kadarius Tony, you can find certain stuff, certain people saying good things about them in different ways. Like Richie James has gotten good reviews so far. Sounds like Sky Moore has certainly improved from where he was last year. Uh, MVS, like, can he be that type of receiver he was in the AFC Championship game? I think Rashi Rice has a lot of talent and somebody who uh, you know will be interesting to see what his role will be this year. Obviously, the Justin Ross hype train is uh, just unstoppable at this point. Uh, which of those five receivers, which of those guys are you maybe buying the hype most of? And would you say maybe has the best chance to, to lead the Chiefs receivers in receiving yards this year? Yeah, I'll get on the Sky Moore train. Um, he's been out there basically with the first team reps all summer, all OTAs, all first, uh, you know, first part of camp here. And it takes a while with any read system, it seems like, to understand the whole playbook, understand what Patrick Mahomes wants you from you. And then, you know, he had the problems last year with the punt returns and the confidence issues there. But, you know, he came back. It was funny. Steve Fagnolo, the defensive coordinator for the Chiefs, had an interesting comment. He said, you know, you bring in rookies last year, and they come back for training camp the next year, and they look different. You know what I mean? Like some of these guys grow, and they become bigger, and their faces mature. And it's weird to say this, but, like, I noticeably see that with this guy more. He looks different than a year ago. He looks bigger. He looks stronger. Uh, you know, his hair's grown out. His face has changed. And he just looks more confident in there. And if you look at some of the numbers out there with some of the advanced sites like uh, Reception Perception, a lot of what Skymore was doing last year was creating separation. It's just sort of knowing the playbook is what was the problem. If you remember the AFC Championship game when the Chiefs were way down on receivers, there were times the receivers were kind of bumping into each other, didn't really know what they were doing. And, I mean, if I'm making a guess on that, I think this guy more was still learning the playbook, learning all the positions, and they threw a lot at him. Now he's more comfortable. Now he talked to us this week about, okay, he's not just thinking about the route he's running. He's thinking, okay, I know the route I'm running. How do I get open? How do I play off of? this cornerback how do I find open space and so uh, I, I'm going to leave that bandwagon I, I think Sky Moore's going to lead this team in receiving outside of Travis Kelsey I think MBS is a great piece to have he runs off a lot of defenders in zone um, which is what the Chiefs need to kind of open up the underneath for guys like Kelsey and Moore but uh, I would definitely say him Richie James is not a good camp so far he's got some wiggle to him and uh, I wouldn't be surprised for a good year for him Justin Rush and Rasheed Rice I'm just a little bit um, cautious with because both guys are, I just mentioned the Sky Moore year one, both those guys to me are facing that year one this year. Because, you know, Justin Ross was in the meetings last year, but he didn't get to get out there. He needed to play. There was an example we saw in the practice field this week where uh, Patrick Mahomes led, led Justin Ross up the field, and Justin Ross stopped his route, and Patrick Mahomes kind of explained to us, like, hey, that's a read he shouldn't know yet, but I kind of threw it to see if he would read it with me. And he didn't, you know, but those are the growing processes you go through. Rasheed Rice is the same thing. Uh, Maggie, the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs, talked about how he was in a no-huddle offense last year and didn't have to run as much, and now he's in the huddle and doing plays, has to jog back to the line of scrimmage. I mean, all these things, even just getting huddled is different for him. So I'll put those other guys ahead of the rest, uh, but I would say Sky Moore's the number one. And uh, you should not ask me for fantasy football advice, but if you did, <laughs> if I ever did win my fantasy football league, uh, Sky Moore would be among the top of my list if you're not looking at Travis Kelsey. 
what to you outside of the Chris Jones contract and the receiver position? What has been or will be moving forward the biggest storyline to you in training camp this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know the one number one of the bullet is is Chris Jones and when he's going to show up, if he's going to show up, if they get the long term deal done, how that whole thing is going to play out. He's getting fined fifty thousand dollars a day, mandatory when he's not there. So this is a real holdout. We don't see as many of those in the NFL. Um, so again, moving past that one and that obvious ramifications on whether he'll be a chief long term or whether he'll play on the last year of his deal, and the Chiefs will let him walk um, without getting anything besides whatever it would be like a third round draft pick in compensation if he leaves in free agency after this year. Uh, besides that, you know, I think a couple things. I would watch the defensive back battle, and then the secondary. It's fascinating for the Chiefs because they drafted all these guys last year, and then they loved them, and they merit the secondary coach coached them up, and. All these guys made big plays in the Super Bowl, and then what happened this draft? They loaded up with more guys. You know, they went, uh, they got Nick Jones, they got Shamari Connor as AD, they went out in free agency and got Mike Edwards, and so there's going to be some interesting battles there. The one guy to keep an eye on is Nazee Johnson. He was a seventh round draft pick last year. Mostly played special teams for the Chiefs, but you know we heard all the time Jalen Watson, Joshua Williams, Brian Cook. Those were the main three guys the Chiefs drafted in the secondary that were playing back there. Nazee Johnson's gotten the first team snaps a lot in quarter at cornerback in this uh, preseason camp. So yeah, looking at Jalen Watson and Joshua Williams, those guys, um, you know, maybe stock a little bit down and then Nazi Johnson, who really didn't play cornerback much, his stock is up. So uh, the Chiefs just keep throwing numbers at that position, which makes me think, you know, they're going to play the best guys and try to develop these young guys and see what sticks. And right now, Nazi seems to be one of those guys that is sticking um, along with, uh, you know, obviously Jerry Sneed in the last year's contract. And then safety wise, they've got, Justin Reed coming back, Brian Cook coming back, and then Mike Edwards filling in as a third safety. So the Chiefs have lots of numbers there, but watching how that all fits in and plays out will be something. Another one, uh, KU focus, might as well throw it in there. The guy that's been replacing Chris Jones mm-hmm. while he's gone, Daniel Wise from Kansas. So um, he's gotten most of those first-team reps in there. So if this thing drags on or continues on, Daniel's going to get lots of chances uh, to be out there, to have coaches see him, and to potentially earn a way onto a roster by um, getting a lot of those reps that would go to another person if Chris Jones was in camp. You mentioned Legereus Sneed on the last year of his contract. What do you think the likelihood is that, that they do want to re-sign him and bring him back? Is that just on hold because of the Chris Jones stuff or with the numbers they've thrown on, on all those defensive backs, does that make him a little bit more expendable in their eyes? Yeah, I think you're right on both terms there. Um, the Chiefs have the least Salary cap room right now in the NFL. Part of that is because they don't have a longer-term deal done with Chris Jones, which should clear or could clear up some money in the short term at least. That would be more for this season. But it seems like Chris Jones is kind of the number one priority right here, and that everything else will fall into place. Now, if you don't sign Chris Jones long term, you can do a lot of other stuff with that money. And you know, I, I they just love Legere Sneed. Stack loves Legere Sneed. They love. That he can play smooth, he can play smooth, he can blitz, he's a smart player, he studies, all those sorts of things. But, you know, I, I just mentioned the reason potentially why you wouldn't necessarily have to sign him, which is the Chiefs sort of have this factory going at secondary where they just keep putting in these late round draft picks, guys, that they keep churning in here. And like I said, Dave Merritt, who should be in a lot of conversations, I think, this often for a defensive coordinator job elsewhere because of the job he's done in the secondary. I mean, he called those guys last year McDuffie, Cook, Watson, Williams, and Lee Johnson. He calls them the Fab Five in, in training camp, which is kind of a bold claim to make to call these guys the Fab Five when at some point you might have to cut one of them. And I just mentioned all those five guys are playing 
oh, and by the way, the fifth one who didn't really play that much last year is going to compete for a starting spot this year. Plus, now you got Nick Jones in the mix. you got Shamari Connor, who stag gloves. A fourth-round draft pick will help on special teams and maybe work into the safety rotation, be kind of a hybrid player there. And then Mike Edwards, who he had as a free agent. I mean, it's just a crowded room right now. So I think they like LeJarius Sneed. I think that uh, he's been valuable to the Chiefs. And obviously, you'd love to have at least one veteran at cornerback just to help the other guys out. But is it a need need for a team that has to pay Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and potentially Chris Jones? I don't know. Maybe this is just sort of where you go cheap if you're the Chiefs and just keep churning and, and relying on the coaches that you have and, and the ability of those guys to get the most out of their players. And if that's the case, Chiefs have a really good thing rolling now. So LeJarrius Seed might be more valuable to another team than the Chiefs. We'll see how it all plays out, but I think you're right to connect him to Chris Jones. I think those two things go hand in hand. Yeah, and with Chris Jones, is it something where you would expect, let's say the holdout does last all camp and they can't come to an agreement, do you think it would bleed into the regular season, or, or do you think he would come back at, at that point in time and then he would just play on a one-year deal and, I don't know what, the Chiefs would franchise tag him next offseason? Yeah, so I think I think you're right. I think at some point, like Chris went to the SDs with his teammates. Um, he wants to run it back. Like at some point he's going to report. Maybe, you know, we're all, we're all speculating here. And, again, $50,000 a day talks, too. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, even if you're a multimillionaire, I think $50,000 a day would make me want to go to training camp just to get in shape and get things back. I would anticipate if there's no long-term deal done, he'll report sometime around between the first and second preseason game, sometime in there just so you can get in game shape, get ready for the season. And then he'll play on his one-year contract, which is pretty lucrative for the Chiefs in the last year of his deal. And then for the Chiefs to franchise that game, that would be a lot of money they sort of have to reserve. You saw this. Actually, with Orlando Brown, remember the Chiefs did not tag Orlando Brown this year, and it cleared up a lot of the salary cap space at the beginning of free agency so they could go out right away and sign Juwan Taylor. So, you know, the question will become if they could clear enough of that cap room to be able to franchise tag Chris Jones again, and then, you know, the question becomes sort of how he deals with that and if that's kind of the whole thing you want to go through, or if the Chiefs want to keep themselves out of salary cap jail and just, you know, don't extend the franchise tag and let him walk at the end of the season, get the compensation that comes back. Uh, because of that, uh, you know, after he leaves. So it'll be a fascinating discussion. I think all sides, obviously, it would be best off for the Chiefs to have him long-term, and Chris Jones seems to like it here, you know, other than wanting to be paid among the top defensive tackles in the league. But I don't know. I mean, it's just really tough. Well, you got Patrick Mahomes, and you have a quarterback not on his rookie deal, and, you know, he's not the highest-paid quarterback, but it's a lot of money you have to give to him. How many superstars can you have on one team and, and keep yourself clear and keep yourself competitive for a long period of time? And, just doing like a thought exercise about all this. I mean, think about, for example, the Bears. You know, Ryan Poles is their GM. He's the former Chiefs guy. He knows Chris Jones well. They have so much salary cap room. They're desperate to be competitive. You know, a lot of those guys are sort of inching their way toward the hot seat. They'd probably gladly pay Chris Jones right now above Aaron Donald, right? I mean, to stand in right there, be their defensive tackle, be a guy that's a top three defensive player in the league. I mean, they'd happily do that because they have the cap space. They have to win now. Whereas the Chiefs, it's just a different formula you know what i mean like they like chris jones they love chris jones they want him to stay they want him to be the anchor of the defense but if they're paying him aaron donald money you might be handicapping yourself pretty seriously for the future and what you can do just because you have other really good players on the team so yeah this is a complicated one for the chiefs but uh, we'll see how the next few weeks play out but if nothing else i expect chris jones to be here and try to run this thing back to the chiefs second straight super bowl and if both sides have to move on then they'll move on after that obviously the chiefs defense has not been the strength of the team though 
they, they haven't been, you know, horrible. Kind of every year over the past, I don't know, three or four years, feels like they've been kind of middle of the pack, but maybe at times have shown flashes. And last year, obviously, having a young team that, uh, you know, at times made some really big plays. But if you remove Chris Jones, who, like you said, he's the best defensive player on the team. He is one of the most valuable defensive players in the league. If you remove him from the defense, what do you think that looks like? Well, you know, this is this is tough because you have to think big picture. And I, I have to be honest, like the Chiefs have done really well lately to think big picture because we could have had this conversation last year in February and said, if you remove Tyreek Hill from the offense, what would his offense look like? And the answer to that was n- different. Patrick Mahomes sure. has to do different things and good enough to win a Super Bowl. You know what I mean? But does the so, defense have a Patrick Mahomes to make up for it? No. And no, and they don't have an Andy Reid to make up for it, and they don't have a Travis Kelsey to make up for it. But I guess my point is you can win in different ways. And Chris Jones had an amazing AFC Championship game. There were about three or four games last year where he won single-handedly because he was able to go in there and have a sack at a crucial time. And we know he draws attention away from guys like George Karloftis on the line. So everyone benefits from his impact. I guess what I'm saying is it's not just having Chris Jones. We're talking about if you moved on from him. I mean, let's go hypothetical. Let, let's say the Bears offered you a first-round pick for him right now. Okay, You get a first-round pick next year, and then you have $28 million in cap room. Um, $20 million is a lot of money. You know what I'm saying? That, that's kind of where, for the Chiefs, the Tyree Kill trade made more sense because it's the same thing I just talked about with Jones, which is it's not just having Tyree Kill on your team or not having him on your team. It's not having Tyree Kill on your team and getting draft picks and having his $28 million you want to spend on him. And the Chiefs reloaded with that in the draft and got all these players we just talked about that made contributions on the way to the Super Bowl. So it's just thinking in a different manner. Would the defense be worse? Absolutely. Yes, of course it would be worse. But with $28 million now on the books, could the Chiefs go get better in other areas? Yeah, they could. With another first-round draft pick, could they go out there and, and get a guy to replace him next year's draft? That's sort of the awkward part about this is with Hill – they figured maybe it wasn't going the right way, so they traded him right away, got the draft pick, and used those draft picks and helped them win the Super Bowl that year. The Chiefs have kind of boxed themselves in the corner here now with Chris Jones because if you make a trade, it's for a draft pick next year that can't help you this year when really this year, this is the prime window season for the Chiefs, especially after you won a Super Bowl and they're trying to win your second straight. So, like I said, the Chiefs, I think, are in this position where they just won a Super Bowl and now they're this year's Super Bowl favorite because all the time they're looking long-term, all the time they're considering all options, all the time they're thinking about, hey, what would this look like with this or this? And if there's never a have to. You don't have to have Tyreek Hill. You don't have to have Chris Jones. Would it look different? Yes. Would it look worse? Yes. But those resources allocated in different places almost could make you a really good team with Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, and Travis Kelsey, all of those above. So I just I don't think that they're going to look at it in that particular way. They love Chris Jones. They'd love to sign him in a long-term deal. They'd love to have him anchor that defense. And we've seen what, how dominant he can be at times. I, I just don't think the, the Chiefs try to operate in a world of have to because have to gets you into a spot where you're paying a guy for what he did instead of for what he's going to do. And that's where bad teams get bad, and that's where the teams like the Chiefs avoid those situations so they can be flexible moving forward. All right, I got a uh, kiss, Mary kill to finish you off with. Um, your three options. The Chiefs have a 1,000-yard receiver, so receiver, you can't pick Travis Kelsey. Uh, the okay. Chiefs having a top-10 defense, and the Chiefs having a kick-return touchdown this year. I believe the last one was in 2020. 
You said kick return touchdown? Kick return touchdown, top 10 defense, and a 1,000-yard receiver. All right. I will kill the kick return touchdown. Uh, it's going to be Denarius Prince back there, by the way, another story of camp. Um, he is Isaiah Pacheco 2.0, okay. and Isaiah Pacheco is ready to get out there with his injury because he's been watching OTAs and summer camps and looking at that guy and going, I don't like this dude you know, <laughs> showing up here and doing all this work. So I'll still kill that because of the new kickoff rule. I think somebody will get to Dave Tobe eventually and say, this just ain't worth it, man. You're going to get a holding penalty. You might fumble. You might as well just take the ball and the touchback. Um, so I just don't think there's going to be as many. And like you said, it's kick returns for touchdowns are just they're just not very prevalent. And uh, Daenerys Prince didn't do it in college, so it might take a little bit of a learning curve. I like who he is as a player, but don't think the Chiefs will do that. I'll marry the 1,000-yard receiver. Let's let's go on the Sky Moore bandwagon, Sky Moore train, and say that he gets there this year. Uh, I know that's a little bit bold, uh, but you're giving me kind of three bold ones to go from, mm-hmm. and I, I, I do think he has a great year. I think he's in line for uh, being the top target outside of Travis Kelsey. I guess that means kissing the top ten defense. I, you know, if you're optimistic about this, if Chris, you know, if I say if Chris Jones comes back, he's under contract, so unless they trade him, he's going to play, you would think, unless a super-duper long holdout, which doesn't make financial sense for him. If you get Chris Jones back, the hope for this, and Steve Sagnola talked about it uh, earlier this week, which is just, hey, all these guys are coming back an additional year. I just talked about the Sky Moore learning curve. What about the Jalen Watson learning curve, the Nazee Johnson learning curve, the Brian Cook learning curve, even the Justin Reed learning curve? He was the first-year player for the Chiefs last year. Nick Bolton was his first year at Mike Linebacker for the Chiefs last year as a starter. So all these guys now have a year under their belt. Maybe now you know a little bit more, you communicate more, you can get a little more exotic with your defenses. So let's just that. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that the Chiefs develop in a way that they did a season ago and just get incrementally better at a lot of different positions. If that happens, then this defense could be a lot better. He is Jesse Newell. You can check out all his work in the Kansas City Star and at KansasCity.com. Jesse, I appreciate the time today, man, and uh, enjoy continuing to cover some uh, very warm outside football. Sounds good, Derek. Appreciate it. That was Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star and KansasCity.com. Thanks, Jesse, for joining the show and talking a little Chiefs football here. One hour down, two to go. We got three RCST trivia matchups coming at you today. We got a Jayhawk Rewind with the KU Baylor game. We're also going to have an interview with uh, one of KU Women's Basketball's new assistant coaches. All that and more coming up on this edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening in on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, klwn.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. In our 4 o'clock hour here, we get to some more RCST football trivia. And uh, should be some fun ones today. We're scheduled for three matchups and then scheduled for two more matchups coming up on your Friday tomorrow. Our first matchup is going to be a non-divisional matchup, out-of-conference matchup. Brad Wandell from the Thursday A division versus Ryan Brown, the Thursday B division. Ryan is preseason ranked in the top five here, so looking forward to this one. RCST Trivia is brought to you by a bunch of our amazing sponsors, 23rd Street Brewery, Jayhawk Trophy, Johnny's Tavern, McDonald's, and Mr. D's Auto Wash. Uh, With that being said, let's get into our first trivia matchup of the day. Ryan got himself to a bowl game last year. Brad got a couple victories and just missed out on the playoffs a year ago. He was uh, one of the better matchups of the regular season in that crazy overtime matchup with Ryan Goodwin a season ago. Brad, I want to start with you. This is year two for you in the football event. Uh, What are your expectations now after experiencing this a year before? 
Oh, last year I felt like I had two average matchups, one good matchup, and one embarrassing matchup. So we're going to try to not have an embarrassing matchup this year and at least have two or three averages and hopefully pull out. Well, it's only three weeks instead of four this year, but if I can make the playoffs, then there's another opportunity for a fourth. So just try to play to my ability and maybe exceed it one time also. Ryan, you're ranked fifth in the preseason rankings here. Do you like having the, I don't know, the high ranking there? Do you feel respected, or does that worry you at all that you feel like the expectations are too high? Um, after my basketball performance, um, pulling at Virginia, I, um, I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried. But the flip side, did that basketball performance... Did, did that reset you at all? Did that give you more motivation for this event? Um, no, not really. I mean, you could ask me that question again. I still don't know the answer. <laughs> it, I just kind of uh, deleted that file from my brain, apparently. Okay. Well, uh, let's go ahead and get into the matchup then. It's the same rules as it was last year. We're going to go through four rounds of questions, different questions for each of you, back and forth. First, second, third, fourth quarter. Each are worth more points than the other, and whoever has more points at the end wins the game. Brad, you are the uh, under-seeded team, so I'm going to give you the option here. I've got this uh, Colorado 1876 coin in honor of them joining the Big 12 again. Uh, do you want heads or tails? <laughs> I'll go ahead. All right. Heads it is. And it is heads, which means you won the toss. Do you want to go first or do you want to go second? Go first. Let's get it started. All right. You want to get it started. That means Ryan will be up second. We're going to start in the first quarter of play. This will be our easy question worth three points. Brad, for you, how many games did Kansas win last season, so the 2022 season? Six games. That's right. Six games was the amount of games they won en route to a bowl game in which they got to play in the Liberty Bowl. All right, Ryan, your first question. How many games did Kansas lose last season, so 2022? Postseason does count. Sorry, say that again. Seven. Okay, yes, that is correct. I didn't want you thinking, oh, is it only regular season? But, yes, yeah, seven, you had it right. And uh, both of you guys with three points to kick us off and getting the easy questions done. Three to three, we head to the second quarter. These are now going to be worth six points as part of our medium round. Back to you, Brad. Todd Reesing's career high for passing attempts in a game was 55. It came against what opponent in November of 2009. November 2009. I'm going to say Missouri. Missouri. I don't know if that was an educated guess, but it is correct. You hear the clue about November. You know they're typically playing Missouri in November, and that was uh, obviously a crazy game where he had to throw it a ton, but uh, ended up working to KU's work. All right, big six points for you there, Brad. You take a 9-3 to lead. We'll see if Ryan can counter right here. Ryan, Jake Sharp's career high for rushing yards was 181. His career high for rushing touchdowns was four. Both of those came in the same game against what opponent in November of 2008? I'm going to, I don't know. Um, let's go with uh, 10 seconds. Iowa State. Say that again. 
Iowa State. Uh, I thought you said for a second K-State. The correct answer was Kansas State. That was a game that uh, Jake Sharp just ran all over Kansas State. It was a fun one for KU, and I believe that was the last time Kansas beat Kansas State, which is uh, part of the significance in that one. Okay, 9-3 to three the score. Brad leading, heading into the halftime break. We're going to head to the third quarter. These are the seven-point questions for the hard round. Brad, for you. This Kansas safety earned Big 12 Defensive Newcomer of the Year in 2013. I got one that's popping to mind, but no, he was a few years later. Well, I'll just take a guess in case that was his freshman year or something. Fish Smithson. Fish Smithson, I I think that might be a year or two off. That that actually is close. The correct answer, though, is Isaiah Johnson, who ended up having a really good season with KU, and then I think eventually he transferred to South Carolina. All right, Ryan, you got a chance here to take the lead if you can answer this question correctly. Your question in the hard round. This Kansas defender led the Big 12 in forced fumbles per game in 2014. Uh, it's a, I'm, I, I think I know who it is, but I think it's a D end. Um, Weiss is last year. I'm going to go with, uh, five seconds. I don't know. Keon Stowers. The correct answer is Michael Reynolds. Michael Reynolds. If that name rings a bell now for you, he had uh, some really good pass rush seasons. All right. Well, uh, Brad, you have a chance here. Only one person has gotten a really hard right. We've made the really hards in week one just insanely hard. They'll get a little bit more gettable starting in week two, but we did have somebody hit a really hard yesterday. If you can hit this really hard, you clinch the win. Otherwise, Ryan will have a chance to hit a really hard and go back in front. So, Brad, your question. This Jayhawk end was all big six in both 1956 and 1957. Uh, that was definitely Nick Springer. <laughs> correct answer. I like the answer there. I like the answer there if you didn't know it. The correct answer is Jim Letkovitz. Jim Letkovitz. Who could forget? No way. <laughs> All right, Ryan, you're going to need a, uh, a miracle here. This is a Hail Mary fourth down and 10 at the opponent, you know, 45-yard line. Lob one up and see what happens. All right, Ryan, this Jayhawk guard was all big eight in both 1960 and 1961. John Zuck. That, that's a good guess that's around the time frame, obviously an all-time KU legend. The correct answer, though, is Elvin Basham. Elvin Basham, the correct answer there. All right, and just like that, Brad, you come away with a 9-3 to victory, so you start off on the right foot. I think last year you started 0-2 before finishing 2-2, if, if I remember that correctly. What does this feel like to get the uh, opening victory here? So I actually did start 1-0 last okay. year, and then Never the next week I, think I, I put up a goose egg, and then I was average the week after that, and then the last week was the Ryan Goodwin matchup. So started out the same way, played the expectation, didn't exceed it, got a little bit lucky. I'm sure uh, if some of the other questions went Ryan's way, might not have worked out as well for me. So I guess the, the, 
Yeah, the big difference was the medium round. If you would have got the Jake Sharp one, would you have hit that on Kansas State or would you not have known it? I would not have gotten that one. So definitely a little luck on my side. That's tough. Ryan, if you would have had him reversed, would you have gotten the Missouri one in the medium round? Yeah, because we should have thrown it 56 times and not done a draw from the one-yard line and gotten a safety. Um, I would have remembered that for sure. Oh, man. Sometimes that's the luck of the draw. The beauty of this, though, with football is that maybe that luck will reverse to you next week. You still have more games, more opportunities to make up for it. Uh, We're going to have an expanded playoff this year, so more teams will be making it in. So that will be the beauty of that. Well, guys, I appreciate you both being a part of this. You're already winners, taking home T-shirt and a couple other prizes for just being a part of this. But um, we'll see both of you next week. Good luck. Sounds good. Appreciate it. Thanks, Derek. Good luck, Ryan. Thank you. Good luck. So Brad comes through with the victory 9-3 to over fifth-ranked Ryan Brown. That's a big-time upset, top-five victory for Brad. Certainly there's going to be some shaking up in the poll. We had uh, number four lose yesterday, now number five loses today. Number 10 had a top-five win, so uh, we'll see. We have, we have two other top-10, two other top-eight even uh, contestants going today. Ben Wilson, who's ranked eighth, is going in our next matchup. And then Blake McFarland, who was our runner-up but is weirdly ranked third this year, is going to be going after that. So uh, a lot more fun matchups coming up on RCST Trivia. But that's a good start for Brad. Um, you know, Ryan, I, I think, will bounce back from from that just fine. Sometimes the questions just don't go your way, and that was a, kind of an unfortunate one for Ryan in that regard. Trivia is not perfect in that regard, but uh, hopefully in the football one because you do have more games and more questions that hopefully it equals out over the long haul with uh, kind of the total body of work in that regard. RCST Trivia is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Jayhawk Trophy, Johnny's Tavern, McDonald's, and Mr. D's Auto Wash. 23rd Street Brewery has dine-in, carry-out, catering, all available if they're outdoor patio to enjoy the warm weather. Try the Bill Self Mac and Cheese, the Haney Turkey Stack, or any of the great menu items. And don't forget about 23rd Street Brewery's beer, which you can get to go with their Crowler. We're going to be giving away 23rd Street Brewery gift cards as part of this, in addition to all our other great prizes, like uh, a football trivia shirt from Lawrence Shirt Factory to all the contestants. All the contestants are getting a free McDonald's breakfast sandwich and a free McDonald's small McCafe frappe. Uh, the eight who make the quarterfinals will get a $25 gift card to Johnny's Tavern, a Mr. D's Auto Wash free car wash $14 value voucher, uh, one free small shake, free medium frozen beverage, and one free lunch or dinner sandwich from McDonald's. Then the four in the semifinals get a RCST engraved water bottle or tumbler from Jayhawk Trophy, a $25 gift card to McDonald's. Uh, the two in the title game get another free small shake, one free medium frozen beverage, and one free lunch or dinner sandwich from McDonald's. And uh, the champion gets the trophy from Jayhawk Trophy. Again, 23rd Street Brewery gift cards will be allotted out over the course of some of these rounds as well. And also the winner is going to get a pair of tickets to whatever KU football game, home game, obviously, they want for uh, this season. So a lot on the line for that. And we do have still a couple other things that are tires in the fire that we're trying to get done and and trying to get a few more sponsors and uh, prizes to kind of come your way. But at the very least, we have those things going your way. All right. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk and RCST Football Trivia on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk as we continue on with RCST football trivia here on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Trivia is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Jayhawk Trophy, Johnny's Tavern, McDonald's, and Mr. D's Auto Wash. Check out Jayhawk Trophy. They're right down the street from us on 6th Street in Lawrence. They have your custom awards for anything you might need there. They have uh, engraving abilities. They can engrave on pretty much anything you'd want, but they have other stuff too. Like they have like little models of Allen Fieldhouse. They have, you can get like customized binders with etching and engraving on it of like something customized for your sports team or for yourself or whatever. 
whatever. All sorts of stuff. Check them out. You can uh, view them online with Jayhawk Trophy or just swing by, and uh, they'll help you with any of your needs here in Lawrence. So uh, our second matchup of the day is eighth-ranked Ben Wilson, who had a unbel- – I mean, I, he was ranked, I think, number one or number two headed into the last week of the regular season last year. I think he was number wow. two. And he was in a really tough division. He ended up – he was up going into the fourth quarter – I think he was up like 16 to 9 on Michael Plank, who ended up winning it all, going into the really hard round. And Michael Plank hit the really hard to win 17 to 16. That is, I mean, that is brutal. It is. That's a brutal way to lose. And so he missed out on the playoff because last year we just did the the four division winners made it uh, by one point, made it to a bowl game, which was still cool. Um, So he's ranked eighth this year. He's got an opportunity for vengeance, so to speak. But we've seen some top 10 teams falling off so far. Skinner Wenninger is a bit of a wild card here. We had him in basketball. Well, if I recall, didn't he? He went to the really hard round in basketball, I think, right? I don't remember what round. I just remember he almost beat Andrew. Yeah. Andrew Feiler in the first round. It was close. Yes. It was close. Now, football is obviously different than basketball. It was a 215 matchup. Yes. Yeah. So we'll see. He's a wild card. We don't know what he's going to bring to the table, but so far we've seen some uh, big upsets so far. So we'll see if that kind of continues here with our next matchup. Welcome back in. Second RCST trivia matchup of the day. We've got eighth-ranked Ben Wilson taking on Skinnerd Wenninger, who is uh, in his football debut here. Skinnerd, I want to start with you. You joined basketball this past offseason. Um, now you're joining football for the first time. Uh, take me through. What is your level of KU football fandom? Why are you a KU football fan? Because uh, two of my cousins, it was a father-son duo, played for KU. Bob Robin from 62 through 64 uh, during the time of Gale Sayers. And he was destined to be the halfback, and then long came D- Gale Sayers. And the rest, <laughs> the rest is known. And Roger, his son. Played from 88 through 91, and he did, along with the line, he was the fullback, and he played linebacker his sophomore year and led the team in tackles. The other three years, he was fullback. But him and the line did the dirty work for Tony Sands on November 23rd of 91, so Tony could break the college single-game rushing record that day of 396. Well, uh, and God rest Roger's soul. He died in 2015. Okay. Well, uh, maybe your performance can be uh, honoring him. It certainly you, you shared some good nuggets there that could make you a formidable trivia foe here. Ben, you you had an unbelievable start to trivia last year. I think you started three and zero. Then you lost a very close game on like the last question uh, of the regular season, and then you fell in your bowl game, which you mentioned after. You know, it's hard to get the the motivation level up and everything. So, uh, what's your your level of expectation here in trivia for twenty twenty three? Well, coming off a good basketball season for trivia, uh, yeah, great eight. I'm trying to keep that same. I'm keeping that, trying to keep that same level of expectation to make a bowl game at least minimum. Try and crack that playoff. I know it'll be tough. Uh, I think Skinner just kind of threw down the gauntlet right there. He was dropping some facts and some knowledge. I I, I love it. Uh, I, I can already tell he's going to be a tough competitor. So I'm, I'm excited to get going. Uh, I actually haven't had a chance to listen to the show this week. So I'm kind of curious to see if any of the question formatting has changed. I've been traveling for work. So uh, I haven't had to tune in. So I'm curious to see what you got this year for us. Okay. Well, uh, Skinner, you're the newcomer. So I'm going to give you the option. We got a, uh, a Colorado coin in honor of them rejoining the Big 12 here. Do you want heads or tails? Give me Ralphie's head. All right. 
<laughs> it is tails, though, unfortunately. So, Ben, uh, do you want to go first or do you want to go second? I'll go first. All right. Skinner, you'll be up second. We're going to start in the easy round. This is the first quarter. These are worth three points. All right, Ben, first for you. Who was KU's head coach in the 2021 season? That would be uh, Lance Leipold. That's right. No need for tricks there. That was his first season. All right, you're on the board with three. Skinner, your first question. Who was KU football's interim head coach who took over for Charlie Weiss after Weiss was let go? Clint Bowen. That's right. Clint Bowen, now the uh, head coach at nearby Lawrence High School. LHS should have a pretty good squad this year. All right, three to three through the first quarter of play. We're going to head into quarter number two. Back to you, Ben. These are worth six points in the medium round. Kansas opened up the 2013 season with a 31-14 win over what Missouri Valley FCS opponent? Oh, my first guess would be. Wait, can you say the score again? Sorry. Yeah, thirty-one to fourteen. Ten seconds. Let's go South Dakota State. Ah oh, man, <clears throat> you were you were the state away. It was South Dakota. Okay. South okay. Dakota yeah. was the answer there. All right, Skinner, you got a chance to take a lead here in the second quarter. Your question. The very next week, so that 2013 season, Kansas suffered a 23-14 road loss to what then Conference USA and now American Athletic Conference opponent? Team we beat in the 61 Blue Bonnet Bowl, Rice. Oh, look at that. You get you get uh, wow. skill points for knowing the blue bonnet thing. I, I, I can't give you bonus points, but you earn uh, respect points for sure. All right, nine to three. That's a good hit for you there, Skinner. We're going to move to the hard round, Ben. This is for seven points to try to move back in front into the third quarter play. Ben, despite losing to NC State in the 2003 Tangerine Bowl, what Jayhawk wearing the number 84 uniform Led KU with nine catches and 109 receiving yards. I want to say Mark Simino. Um, I don't know if that's right. 84. I don't remember what his... I know his number was in the 80s. Um, I'm going to say another quarterback. 10 seconds. Was too. Yeah, I'll go with Mark Simino. The correct answer is Brandon Rideau, or Rideau. I, I forget how to pronounce it. Okay. All right. Skinner, if you hit this question, you can secure the uh, the week one upset, the victory here. Your hard question for seven points. Wearing the number nine uniform, this Jayhawk receiver caught three passes and returned a punt for a touchdown in the Jayhawks' 2007 season opening win against Central Michigan. Repeat the question one more time. 
Uh, yeah, in KU's 2007 season opening win over Central Michigan, this receiver wearing number nine caught three passes and returned a punt for a touchdown. You got 10 seconds. Love something. The correct answer is Raymond Pendleton. Raymond Pendleton there. All right, you stay alive here, Ben, but you got to answer really hard, which... Uh, if you you've been you haven't caught up on the the weeks so far, the really hard in week ones are incredibly hard. We're gonna make them a little easier starting in week two, but just to make it equal for everyone. Uh, so good luck here. Good I love luck. it. Let's go. Let's get another right. one. I like it. All right, Ben, you're really hard. This Jayhawk earned all Missouri Valley Conference honors in 1917, 1919, and 1920. Mm. Yeah, you weren't lying. This this is uh, a little before my time. Okay, 1917, 19... Okay. Oh. I can almost picture... I feel, like I, I feel like I have a name. I think that's too... Uh, BH Bourne. <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, the correct answer there is Dutch Lonberg. Dutch Lonberg. Okay. I've heard of him. All right. Well, Skinner, <laughs> you have secured the win no matter what, but total points do matter. They're a tiebreaker. All eight division winners are going to make the playoff, and then the next four best teams are also going to get at largest. So points can matter for a tiebreaker in the division. It can matter for, you know, making it to the playoff. Um, so if you can hit this, it'd be huge. All right, Skinner, your really hard question for eight points. This Jayhawk guard earned all big six honors in both 1934 and 1935. John Peterson. The correct answer is, I don't know if uh, relation to the Sklar brothers, Dick Sklar. Dick Sklar is the uh, answer there for the guard one. Well, those were really tough. So, Skinner, nonetheless, you come up with a 9-3 to victory. Your first entrance into football trivia, you upset a top-10 team. Uh, how do you feel about your performance today? A lot of luck. <laughs> if if the, uh, the, the questions, the medium question, because that's what ended up being the difference, if you would have got Ben's, the one about South Dakota, would you have got that right? No, I would have got skunked. Mm, ben, would you have got the uh, Rice one on the flip side? No, I was thinking Southern Miss. Mm. But I think we might have played them the year before, actually. Okay. Um, well, the good news of this is you still got a couple more regular season matchups, Ben. We know you know your stuff. Uh, you can still win your division. If, if some things go your way, you could still make it in as an at-large because we have those at-larges now that you could still finish second in your division, maybe even third, and and uh, make it in. But uh, I'm glad both of you guys joined this thing. It was a fun first matchup, and we'll see you guys both next week. Many thanks. Good luck. Thank you, Derek. Looking to rebound. Good luck to you, Skinner. Wow, man. Skinner pulls the upset. Dude, and before we even started, I just want to say, before we even started recording, Skinner gave us a great yes. story in which he dropped a bunch of really interesting knowledge about KU. So this is a guy who clearly 
uh, has a has a wide, wide range of KU football knowledge. I think even beyond that, he actually brought up to Ben because Ben, it's Ben Wilson. Apparently, that was the the name of the head coach from the Wichita State football team as as part of the, uh, yeah, the plane crash, which is a very historic yeah. uh, event to happen here in the state of Kansas, and I think just in sports in general. He's a very knowledgeable guy. I I think uh, Skinnerd is going to be appearing in the top ten for at least my poll that I'm going to be casting. You know, there's multiple pollsters. I'm not, you know, vote how you want to vote because you're so part. So the of question it. is. Do we vote just based on the game, or do we vote based on the fact that he did he? Because I mean, I think it all matters. He sprinkled it? in a lot of other stuff, you know, in yeah. like the pregame and the postgame. But of course, it all matters. It's like you don't just you don't just rank him based on the game. Well, you you can do your ranking however you want. Everybody has their own formula. Everyone, everybody has their own things that matter. To me, it does matter because that was the equivalent of Skinner coming in with a bunch of five star recruits and then they performed well. <laughs> You, the potential and talent is there, okay. and the result came with it. But that doesn't mean you get ranked higher just because, right? Then somebody, else, yeah, like I mean, if if somebody else scored, say, I mean, sixteen dude, points, you count the results of the game. No, I agree, I agree. But like, if you're picking between two guys who won their matchup and scored nine points, does he get the tiebreaker for that? Maybe. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Maybe. So it might matter a little. It's not gonna, you know, he's not gonna be ranked higher than somebody who put up. 16 points or something right, like no, that. Listen, I'm just saying. Yeah. No, I'm just saying. But I think that was an impressive performance. He clearly becomes somebody who I think vaults up the uh, opportunity that they could possibly win. It's a tough region, man. Uh, that that Thursday Division B, you have Ben Wilson, preseason top eight, Skinner and Wenninger, who clearly knows his stuff, Ryan Brown, who is uh, ranked fifth, who uh, got upset earlier today. So, I mean, work's cut out for Ben and Ryan now to try to get back into the playoff picture. Yeah, and that's brutal because, again – Probably only one of those guys is going to have a chance to make the right. playoffs. Yeah, because whoever loses that game between Ben and Ryan, you're going to have two losses. Probably out, yeah. And I would imagine everybody who makes and, the playoff is in at large is going to have to have two wins. At least two wins. Yeah, you would, yeah, you would think. That's going to be interesting. Well, we have one more trivia matchup today. It is our third-ranked contestant, Blake McFarland. He went all the way to the title game last year. Why is he only ranked third? Does he have a chip on his shoulder? How is he going to perform this year? Ryan Goodwin was our preseason number one from a year ago. Now maybe less expectations, not ranked. Uh, so we'll get to that in a moment. RCST Trivia is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Jayhawk Trophy, Johnny's Tavern, McDonald's, and Mr. D's Auto Wash. Did you know in 2023, Johnny's Tavern is celebrating its 70th year anniversary? That's good news for you because they're having all sorts of specials. And wherever your local neighborhood Johnny's is, uh, one of their 13 locations from Topeka to the newest store in Raymore, Missouri, you can try all the great food, all the great beer, including the new Blue Collar Lager, a beer you can only get at Johnny's that's brewed by Free State Brewing Company. One more trivia matchup coming up. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Shock Sports Talk on KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Um, once again, RCST Trivia is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, by McDonald's and Mr. D's Auto Wash, by Jayhawk Trophy, and by Johnny's Tavern. Check out the McDonald's in the Lawrence area, and then uh, after you grab lunch, you can always go get your car washed at Mr. D's Auto Wash, so you're, you know, you're quenching your hunger, you're your feeling good, is full, and, and your then your car, car is clean. Beautiful. Or, I guess, you can do the, uh, the ultimate date night. You get your you get your car washed, so it's looking good. You go pick up your significant other. Yep. And then you go to McDonald's. Dude, that sounds like the best night ever. Awesome. Me, Great. Okay. I might just do, do that, that for myself. It might just be <laughs> date, for date me. night just me by <laughs> yeah. myself. There we go. Um, so we've already had, this will be our, our third matchup 
with a top 10 opponent or top 10 foe, however you contestant, whatever, uh, in it. The first two are 0-2 today. Yikes. So we'll see if it gets to 0-3. Yikes. That would be very interesting. Now, um, Ryan Goodwin is unranked, but I think we both yeah. know he's a fairly formidable opponent. I actually, like, Ryan Goodwin and Eric Hansey were not in the top 10, but, you know, both of them easily could have been in that 10 spot instead of Isaac. Again, we didn't totally know what to do with Isaac there. Um, but he was preseason number one last year. He started 2-0. Like, he, he was one of the top contestants. And then that, that overtime game happened, and then his last matchup just was kind of like a tough one. Um, he is someone who could go far in this. He absolutely is. And with Blake, he went to the title game a year ago. And and I think Blake went from losing his first matchup, too. So this is actually a good lesson for anybody who lost their first matchup this year. Blake went from losing his first matchup last year to running all the way to the title game. I think he won four straight games yeah. after doing you know, that. You know where you can't do that? Hmm. College football. Um, What, lose your first game? Yeah. And then, no, I think you can. You could. Just be really tough. If you're in the SEC, you can do it. If you're anywhere else, you can't. Uh, I don't know, man. Remember Oregon got absolutely like trounced by Georgia and by like the time were they, they in were... the playoff? No, no, no. But they, they got to a point where they were what, like eight and one, something like that. And they were but like ranked what they seventh were, or six? They sixth? were never gonna make the playoff. If they would have won out, they would have. I don't think so. I think they would have made it over TCU. If they were twelve and one, they're only lost to Georgia. But they lost by a hundred. Well, so did TCU. TCU lost by more than hundred. <laughs> I know. So Oregon, I think, might have made it. Um anyway. These ones are important because, you know, the, all the games do matter. The non-conference one is important because it boosts up your total points, which is a tiebreaker in division. It also could be the difference between you making it as an at-large or not. It could be the difference between you getting a first-round buy or not if you win your division. So the non-conference are important. But the division games are going to be the staple. They're going to be the backbone. So these become even more important than the divisional games because you only get two of them. So even though you have three total regular season matchups, there's just less opportunity. So uh, pretty much our division winners are either going to be you win both and you go 2-0, and or if you're going to be, it'll be a three-way tie at one and one. So if you can start one and zero in the division, it gives you just such a leg up. And then at that point, you're just like, well, if I win one more division game, I'm good. Or if I win my non-con game, I'm two and one, and I'm probably sitting pretty to get in at large. So uh, winning this first game is not the most important thing. Like I said, the example of Blake, but it is very important if you can do um, just that. By the way, we will have two matchups coming at you. Tomorrow, they're uh, kind of makeup matches from what was supposed to be earlier this week. Eric Hansey versus Justin Nichols and then Kyle Martin yeah, we versus had some, Aaron uh, there. We had some rain delays, some rain yeah. outs. Yeah, we did. Some uh, thunderstorms. It was like thunderstorms. the KU-Houston game. Yep. Okay, well, uh, let's get into our third and final matchup of the day featuring Ryan Goodwin. Well, we were supposed to have our third matchup of the day um, between Ryan Goodwin and the third-ranked Blake McFarland, but unfortunately, Blake McFarland is not here. Uh, we are past our time. We... I usually give a, a certain allotted amount of time to hear back from the person and then for the person to join the Zoom, but didn't end up happening, haven't heard back. So, Ryan, congratulations. As you re-enter this thing, you are getting a victory. But the downside to this, your, your buddies who, I don't know, are, are very harsh on you during this thing, including our very own Matt Tate, I don't think this is going to quiet the haters even though you're getting a big win here. That's fine. Just just give me more fuel to the fire. I, I heard Tate's comments last week. Uh, he, he got me all ready to go. That's what I needed. I need that push in the right direction. So that, that's what your buddies are for, right? Keep you humble and get you motivated. That's right. That's right. Okay. Well, uh, you still will need to answer your questions because total points are a tiebreaker in all this. So congrats. You're, you're going to get a big win here. But how many points are you going to have? 
Uh, where are you going to lie in all this stuff? That is uh, certainly going to matter for, I don't know, division tiebreakers, seeding in the playoffs, making it as at large, wherever things end up being for you. Okay, uh, so the rules are the same as they were last year. I don't need you to have a, a coin toss or anything. You'll be going first, 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 and first. And uh, we'll start in the first quarter of play. This is an easy question. It is worth three points. What bowl game did Kansas play in this past season? Liberty Bowl. Yes, Liberty Bowl is the correct answer there. And uh, follow-up question would have been something about what happened in the Liberty Bowl. But nonetheless, uh, three points for you, Ryan, and you're on the board. Uh, so I guess officially that gives you the win since you have points. But that's good news there. You didn't get shut out. Okay, on to the medium round. Second quarter. This is worth six points. Akib Talib had one multi-interception game in his KU career. It came on October 28th of twenty or of 2006 against what Big 12 North opponent? I'm going to go with K-State. It was the new school joining the Big 12, I guess rejoining the Big 12, Colorado. Colorado was the answer there. I think that was the game that uh, Todd Reesing actually uh, burned his red shirt in, but Akeem Tlaib also had his... Yes, yep. it would have been. would have been. All right, on to the hard round. Seven points for this one in our third quarter of play. Who holds the KU career record for most all-purpose yards with 5,157 of them? So just to clarify, most all-purpose would include passing yards, correct? No, it does not. Uh, rushing, receiving, and uh, kick punt return. Okay. Ten seconds. I'm going to have to go with June Henley. That is a great pick there. June Henley is the correct answer with over 5,000 of them. That's a big seven points for you. Uh, off the top of my head, we only have a couple people who have gotten into double digits here in week one. It's been tough sledding here in week one. I think Blake Farrell got to 16. Um, Isaac Henderson got to 11. Our defending champ, Mike Plank, got to 10 uh, for regulation points, not counting the overtime. So you're just one of four people now with double-digit regulation points. So uh, that's a good first week for you no matter what. Let's see if you can make it even better. Really hard question. Fourth quarter, this is worth eight points. We've only had one of these answered right so far. We've made them extremely difficult for week one. It will get a little easier, but for now, it's going to be incredibly difficult. All right, Ryan, this Jayhawk linebacker was named all Big 8 in 1966 and 1967. Ten seconds. The only one that keeps coming to mind is Emory Hicks. The correct answer is Mike Sweatman. Mike Sweatman, the right one there. All right, so uh, that, that's got to feel nice, though, when you have no pressure on the really hard round. Nonetheless, like I said, 10 points has been one of our high watermarks so far. So uh, thoughts on your overall first performance here? I'm actually kicking myself on the Akeem Tlaib one. Mm. Um 
because I had a feeling coming in today with all the buzz around Colorado, there was going to be a Colorado question. And I feel like I should have saw should have saw through that one. But uh, other than that, you know, just based off the way the score's gone this week, I'm not going to complain about getting 10. I'm, you never apologize for winning. No, you don't. You never do. Um, well, this this sets you up that uh, because this was a divisional matchup. So you're going to play two divisional matchups, then you'll have a non-divisional one, and, and those are so important. But the other guy in your division is Brad Wandell, who uh, won his non-conference matchup earlier today. And if you remember, Brad was the guy who played you last year in that, like, I don't even remember how many overtimes you went to. It was, I don't know, four or five, something crazy like that. Uh, sets up a, a very important matchup where if you can beat Brad, you would you would clinch the division at that point in time. Um, h- how much have you thought about that matchup from a year ago and, and what went down in that performance? Um, That was definitely one I felt like I should have won. And and I, I need to totally redeem myself, much like uh, Matt Tate was saying last week. It's time for me to put up or shut up in one of these. And uh, so the fact that I get a second crack at Brad, uh, that's going to be fun. You know, you got to go exercise your demon and uh, hopefully I can find a way to come away with a dub in that one. OK, he is uh, Ryan Goodwin. Ryan, I appreciate you joining here and uh, good first win. Uh, don't let anybody put you down because 10 points would have won you almost every matchup this week except for like two. So uh, even if your opponent was here, there's a good chance you would have found a way to win. So good good week first or good first week one and uh, we'll see you week two. Sounds good. Thanks, Derek. Well, uh, that's unfortunate. Anytime that happens in general. Um, yeah. Yeah. You never you never want to see it. No, you, like you never do. And I feel bad, especially in an event like this where if you miss your game and have to forfeit, it, it really sucks because you get zero points. Yeah. And but it's like, if you think about it, if you miss the game in basketball trivia, you're just out. You're just out in general. So I guess this is a little so more forgiving. A little better where you still at least get to play. Yeah, because if Blake wins his last two matchups, he could still make the make the postseason. Um, and yeah, it is unfortunate. Sure. Just to peel the, the curtain back, you know how this works is we schedule these things out to record before the show and we set times with everyone. We send out the schedule over the weekend. Then we send out our, you know, zoom links within the coming days leading up to things. You have a lot of time to let us know beforehand. If something doesn't work, if the schedule needs to be changed, if uh, you need something changed. And so then what happens is once we get to the actual day of the event, once we get to the time of the event, you know, it's recording time and you're not there. I'll shoot you a text message. I'll shoot you a, a Twitter DM, whatever. I might email you and be like, hey, uh, FYI, don't forget your your thing's going on right now. Uh, once we hit about five minutes after the scheduled thing and I still haven't heard from you, then I set a marker of you have five more minutes to just let me know. Yeah. The, to just let me know what's going on. Doomsday timer. Yes. And, and then we set that- another timer where it is 15 minutes after. Um, unless the other person's cool, you know, delaying, or if you give me a, a reason why you need it to be pushed, right? I, I am human. I understand, like, if you had something big go on, just tell me, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll move it around. Um, yeah. But if, if I don't hear anything from you, and I, I, I feel bad doing it, uh, but that's how uh, it kind of works. So uh, I feel bad for Blake, and it's unfortunate, especially after the great run he had last year. But also, you know, Ryan might have won with 10 points anyway. That's been kind of a high watermark this year. Yeah, yeah, and that was a good hit on the June Henley question as well. Uh, so that was really good, and uh, yeah, I thought a solid performance from Ryan, definitely against himself, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, yep. So, um, okay. Well, uh, that's not a fun way to finish, but nonetheless, Ryan with uh, an impressive performance, just uh, I guess kind of individually there. Uh, once again, RCST trivia is brought to you by Twenty Third Street Brewery, Jayhawk Trophy, Johnny's Tavern, McDonald's, um, and why did you, uh, you say it like that? 
I don't know. And uh, Mr. D's Auto Wash McDonald's. as well. <laughs> uh, prizes for the upcoming event. Everybody who's joined is uh, getting a RCST football trivia t-shirt from Lawrence Shirt Factory, which those are priceless because you can't buy them anywhere. Yes, exactly. No, listen, the, the trivia t-shirts, I think, maybe are one of the best prizes because they're one of a kind. Nobody else can get those except for unless they are also a competitor in the tournament. Yeah. Right? So if you have one of those, you're one of either, if you're if it was basketball, you're one of like 60. If it's football, you're one of only 20 other people, 24 other people that mm-hmm. have that shirt. Yes. Um, you get a free McDonald's breakfast sandwich, a free McDonald's small McCafe frappe. So that's for just everybody entering. They ate in the quarterfinal. You get a $25 gift card to Johnny's Tavern, a free car wash with a $14 value to Mr. D's Auto Wash, and you get one free small shake, one free medium frozen beverage, and one free lunch or dinner sandwich from McDonald's, which you also get another one of those if you make it to the title game. For the people who make the semis, you get a $25 gift card to McDonald's and an RCST engraved water bottle or tumbler from uh, Jayhawk Trophy. Champions getting the trophy from Jayhawk Trophy and a pair of tickets to any KU home football game of your choice this year. And then all throughout, uh, we're going to be giving out gift cards to 23rd Street Brewery as part of the uh, prize this year. Okay, so uh, I guess, uh, I don't know, week one thoughts so far? We still have two matchups to go, but uh, has anybody has anybody surprised you? Has anybody disappointed you? Leonard, uh, not Leonard, uh, Skinner. <laughs> I always wanted to call him Leonard Skinner. <laughs> the famous musician. <laughs> Skinner was very impressive. I, I thought he did great. Uh, I really liked uh, Skinner and Jackson. My friend did, did pretty well, got mm-hmm. himself a win as well. Uh, but, yeah, no, this is, this was a tough week. Uh, we might need to dial down the difficulty of the questions just a tad, uh, you know, because we'd have a, a lot of low-scoring matchups. You know, the defense played really, really well, but it's the age-old question. Did the defense play well or was the offense just bad? <laughs> you tell me. I guess we'll never know. All right, well, that is going to do it for trivia today. That is our third matchup. Coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, we've got some fun stuff. We're going to get to our uh, Jayhawk football rewind. We're on to the Baylor game next, and we're also going to uh, get to an interview with one of KU women's basketball's newest assistant coaches. So all that coming up in the 5 o'clock hour here with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN, and we're joined now by a special guest, Marquez Webb, who is the new KU women's basketball assistant coach, at least one of the new ones. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we just talked with one of the other ones last week. Um, so I guess first things first, this, this is going to be your first season on staff at KU. What made mm-hmm. you interested in this job and, and coming out to Lawrence and, and being a member of the Jayhawk family? Oh, man, it, it, it was really kind of crazy how it all worked out. Um, one of our other coaches, Corrala Middlebrook, um, who's, you know, been here for a minute. Me and Rai have known each other for over 10 years now. Um, Corrala played at Alabama whenever I played at Bandy, and she played with two of my best friends. Um, so I've literally known Corrala for over a decade um, and everything. And uh, she has called me, uh, you know, uh, about it, and it kind of just transpired from there. Um, I had my first conversation with Brandon, and I can just tell from that conversation how genuine he was and, you know, how serious he was about just the uh, projection of this program and where, you know, it's going. And he's done an amazing job at doing that, you know, after the WNIT run. Just the energy and everything that that was behind it um, just really felt like something special to be a part of. 
so it, it, it kind of it was kind of crazy how it all worked out, but I'm glad it worked out the way it did, and it has been a great, great experience thus far. We talked with Brock last week and about his playing career and how that impacted him in, in what he wanted to be as a coach and that, um, you know, being on the other side of it, he wanted certain things to come across to him that way. You played 119 games at Vanderbilt in the SEC. Is there anything mm-hmm. that you take away from your time as a player that you liked that certain coaches did or that you liked uh, certain trait-wise about certain coaches that uh, kind of shape how you want to be as a coach? Oh, yeah, for sure. I actually saw my position coach that was at Bandy this past weekend out recruiting, um, Coach Ashley, and there are things. And we were just joking. I was like, it's funny because as a player, you don't realize it. But similar to what Brock is saying, once you, you know, change that perspective and end up on the other side of it, um, you, you see a lot of it. And I was kind of talking with her about that. But there are plenty of things that, you know, I use as a I use as a player, and throughout that experience that has helped me, I, I believe, become a better coach. Um, I think the same thing uh, it was whenever I was playing in Europe. There are a lot of different things that they do that I feel like has helped as well with my uh, coaching career as well. Because at the end of the day, it's all basketball, and I think just finding a way to get your players to just understand whatever it is you're trying to teach them. But I think playing it definitely has helped. You talked about playing overseas in Europe. You got to play in Czech Republic. What was that? What was that whole experience like from both the basketball perspective and the kind of off the court side of things? It was absolutely amazing. Um, I always tell people if uh, Stephanie White didn't give me that opportunity to come back and probably coach at my alma mater, I probably still would be playing right now. Honestly, um, I loved it. I absolutely love playing overseas. Uh, the fans in the Czech Republic are absolutely amazing. The club I played for was absolutely amazing. Um, they the, the way they teach basketball over there is just I love it. Um, extremely fundamental, extremely extremely fundamental. Um, the the environment of the Czech Republic was amazing. Like I'll go out to a grocery store, and there would be just like kids coming up, like because they love basketball over there. Um, obviously the architecture and everything was beautiful. Um, it was just a really really good experience that I'm just blessed to say that I have. How how would you still describe your game? Do you, do you feel like you can you know get after it still? <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely would say that. Uh, I'm I'm still a little old. Like we had a little practice time earlier today, and I'm a little sore right now. <laughs> but once that adrenaline kicks in, me and me and Twin go at it like every day. So it's <laughs> it's fun. I, I think that helps too. Kind of going back to your point. I think nowadays players, um, they need that. They need coaches that can still kind of get up and down with them because a lot of times you can tell them, but whenever you can show them and, like, you're in the trenches with them and you're battling with them, um, I think it helps build that player-coach relationship a lot. You, you were a forward in, in your playing days. Is that the position that, that you're going to be most uh, coaching and, and closely related to? 100%. Yeah, that, for me, that's, like, my sweet spot. Uh, I love post-development fours and fives, whatever that kind of looks like, because it looks like a lot um, this time and day and age of basketball. But that is that is definitely, uh, you know, what I feel like I do best in talking with Brandon before I even got here. Me and him were on the same page about exactly what it was of my role to do. And, I mean, coming into a situation where you get to coach Tiana Jackson, that's got to be pretty fun then, right? Oh, yeah. It, 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 I'll tell you a funny story. My first week of workouts with Tiana Jackson, I got a black eye. 
Um, so I got a nice little welcome gift the very first week I got here. But no, she is, um, man, she she is a she is she's special. I put it to you like that. Um, so I'm really excited for the work that she's put in. Um, you know, Terry Nooner and Brock did an amazing job with her so far. Um, so just being able to come in and just um, just help out where I can as far as just with her development. And obviously, you know, Twin has a awesome, awesome, amazing chance to be able to be drafted and go and, and you know, have, have a professional career. And just so trying to just, you know, mentor her where I can as far as that goes, but really just help her reach her goals, man. That, like, that's the end of the day. It's just helping her get to where she wants to be. You've got good height. I think what six one, six foot two, something like that. Uh, but twin takes it to another level. I mean, anytime you're getting up to six five, six six, that uh, that that's very imposing on the basketball court. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Does that does that help you at all from a coaching perspective that you get to kind of come at her from a, a standpoint of being like, hey, listen, um, you know, I I got to play this as as even a few inches shorter than you to where I can tell you what it's going to be like trying to defend you if if I'm more of an undersized player against you, or uh, I can teach you certain things that, you know, you have all this potential in the world because of your length and, and height and everything like that. Does that, does that help with her and, and with coaching her in any way? Yeah. I mean, every day we, we literally talk about that every single day. Um, me and her play very different. So the way I'm guarding her, um, very different, but like similar to other players, like in the league and in, in the way they guard her. Um, so I can come at it at a very different perspective and kind of spin it to where, but look, this is to your advantage. So do this instead. Um, and twin is extremely, extremely coachable. Um, she, she wants that feedback. Like she wants to be great and she has been working her butt off to do so. Um, but yes, I would 100% say that that perspective definitely helps as far as just coaching her day to day. You, uh, after your playing days at Vanderbilt and overseas and everything and, and getting to even be an assistant coach at your alma mater, most recently you were at Mercer, 23-7 uh, mm-hmm. last year, really successful year. Uh, what did you learn about your love for the game, about, I don't know, uh, coaching college basketball, all that sort of stuff, being at a non-Power 5 level and having a lot of success? Yeah, um, my time at Mercer the past two years was exactly what I needed, Uh you know, after coming back from my alma mater and, you know, going to a mid-major in Mercer, I think it, it, it was it was very timely. Uh, coach Gardner, Susie Gardner, who's the head coach there, um, she's a legend, man. She's one of the best in this business, and she taught me so much about the game. Um, but I think it was more so the off-the-court stuff. Like I, like you said, it's very different, the resources you have in a mid-major compared to a power five. So just being able to figure out how to still get the result without, without having all the resources um, is very challenging. Very, very challenging. But I think that with that experience, it's definitely helped me. It's changed my perspective on a lot of different things. Um, but my time at Mercer was absolutely amazing. Uh, I can't. Like I said, I cannot say enough about how much I appreciate and love Coach Gardner and, and the kids that we were able to get. And um, Coach there definitely helps me. We're talking with Marquez Webb, assistant coach for the KU women's basketball team here on RCST. Uh, you guys get to go overseas here in, I don't know, a week and a half, two weeks, something like mm-hmm. that, for uh, an upcoming trip. You're going to get to go to Greece. You're going to get to go to Italy. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure you're excited to get back out there overseas. Is there something you're most excited to do off the basketball court when, when you guys are going to be in Europe? Oh, yes. I cannot wait to eat some amazing pasta. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm just going to be honest with you. That's what I'm most excited about. <laughs> off the court. That's going to be cool. I've been to Paris before, and I was like, Paris had the best pasta. 
But I'm like, I'm about to be in Italy. Like, that's going to be pretty dang good. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the different experiences. I mean, the European culture is very different. Um, so I'm just excited to immerse myself back into that culture for, you know, those 10 days. Uh, I'm excited to have some fun with, with, with our girls, man. Um, I think we, we, we're, we're very blessed to be able to do this, and I think it's going to be a very fun experience as far as just building team culture, team chemistry, um, all of that. And whatever else is planned for us, I just, I, I'm just ready to go find a beach as well <laughs> and just relax and just ha- ha- have some fun um, to start the season. So it's going to be really, really fun. What is Marquez Webb when, when she's not coaching, not having to worry about practice or recruiting or any of that? Uh, you have an off day to yourself. Favorite thing to do off the court, just kind of from day to day, your favorite hobby or something like that? Um, well, me and my dog. I have a dog. Her name is Stormy. What kind? Um, uh, uh, she's a pit bull. Okay. Uh, she's a uh, blue pit, so she's fully gray, blue eyes. She's absolutely beautiful, if I do say so myself. <laughs> but uh, So I walk my dog a lot, but I play... I play 2K a little bit, but I would say probably in season the most is I do puzzles. Uh, I have a table in my house, and there's always a puzzle on that table, so I try to come in and, you know, do a couple pieces here and there, have a 1,000-piece puzzles, 750-piece puzzles. Um, that's what I like to do the most, I would say. I probably spend a lot of time doing All right. I love it. Well, Marquez, we, we appreciate you hopping on, joining us today, and I'm sure we'll hear again from you at some point over the course of the season. Good luck. Have fun in, in uh, Europe and uh, enjoy. Uh, I, I don't know. I hope you can get some puzzles done. at a relative, I'm horrible at puzzles, so good luck to you. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. That was Marquez Webb, new KU women's basketball assistant coach. Fun character, and uh, I think that'll be great. You heard her talking about the fundamentals and some of those little things. You add that and, and hone that in on Tiana Jackson, who already is very skilled and already has a lot of talent and athleticism. Man, she already was unbelievable last year, first-team All-Big 12. Could she take that next step into being an All-American and being a Big 12 player of the year? Maybe under the guidance of uh, Marquez Webb. All right, we're going to take a time out here. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll be back in a moment. Five o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to be joined by a special guest, new KU women's basketball assistant coach Marquez Webb is going to hop on the show with us here in about 15, 20 minutes from uh, right now. First, we got to get to a Thursday staple now in the offseason here, which is the Jayhawk Rewind, and we got the next KU football game. We've gone through the first, what, seven games of the year. We're on the eighth game of the year, looking back to it, the KU-Baylor game in Waco from last year, in which it was the ultimate tale of two halves. Let's start right here where we always start. What we thought headed into the game. So headed into the game, Kansas was 5-2. and two. They just lost their first two games. TCU, not a big deal. Oklahoma, you started to maybe have some more worries about how it went, I think specifically on the defensive end of the ball. Baylor, meanwhile, was coming in at 3-3, three and three, and I think they had just lost like a, a Thursday or Friday night game to West Virginia. I can't remember if they won or lost. I just remember Blake Shapin got injured in the game. He had like a concussion, and there was conversation again. Like this was a stretch. It happened with the Oklahoma game with Dylan Gabriel where it's like, is he going to play? And he did. And there was Blake Shapin who was like, is he going to play? And then he did yeah. to where it was a little bit unfortunate there that you got kind of the anti-TCU. <laughs> and obviously the history of KU and Baylor does not favor KU. No. So there was, you know, I don't want to say that that played into it at all, but you, you know, I know that was on the fans' minds going into the game. Oh, 100%. It was on our minds. We talked a lot yeah, about it. Yeah, we talked about it. That yeah. series had not gone well. And, and, you know, looking back, this actually ended up being one of the best performances <laughs> by KU in this series in a while. And they were getting blown out at one point. Yeah. So. Now, also a big talking point coming into this one, the injury status of Jalen Daniels. I don't remember exactly when the 
the hubbub about the him possibly being out for the year yeah, the that didn't end non, up coming to fruition. Non-news. Was that this week or was that the week before? Was it the following? I don't remember. Around this time. Yeah, sure. But we didn't know like what was going to be the status there. But also, if you remember, Kobe Bryant got like carted off the field in the Oklahoma game. What yep. was his status? Yep. He ended up being out for this game. Um, so what happened in the game? Uh, it was just a bad, bad start. Bad first half for Kansas. Can I say bad even more? Bad. Uh, you can say bad as many Very times bad. as you want. Bad, bad, bad. <laughs> you can say bad, <laughs> not good, the opposite of good, mm-hmm. uh, bad. So KU three and outs on their first drive of the game. And uh, to make matters worse, not only did they three and out, Nick, they punted from their own 27-yard line. Would you like to take a gander at where the punt ended up at? <laughs> uh, was it, wasn't it like the 40? Yeah, it was a 14-yard punt. So Baylor <laughs> starts and the I ball. And I should clarify, not the Baylor 40. No. Their own 40. The Kansas, yeah, it was a 14-yard punt. So Baylor starts with the ball at the Kansas 41. Um, they end up getting – Kansas gets them into a third and seven – and then they run the ball to the running back, and they get nine yards, first down. But then it's like, okay, well, Kansas has them in second and 17. Then they have them in third and 11. And it's like, okay, good. If, after the way this started, if you hold them to field goal, great. Third and 11, they run a receiver screen, which if you remember, that ended up being a problem kind of for KU throughout the year. They gave up the yeah. long one to TCU yeah. and, and a lot of Oklahoma other ones. Oklahoma really exploited that as yeah, well. Yeah, 100%. Uh, they get a touchdown on third and 11 on a receiver screen. So that was like, oh, that's not good. First play of the next drive. Pass completed to Quentin Skinner. Quentin Skinner fumbles. <laughs> then, within two plays, Baylor scores a touchdown. They run the ball twice for 25 yards. So now you are down 14 nothing. You have a 14-yard punt. You have fumbled the ball. You have messed up a third and long. You Your defense looks horrible. You're like, okay, this is the classic Baylor game. You did have a nice response. You had a 12-play drive. Unfortunately, though, you ended up having to kick a field goal. If you remember, this was kind of a weird decision, though, because uh, Kansas had a 4th and 10 at the Baylor 18-yard line, and... Or no, I'm sorry. Kansas had a four. This was a really weird sequence. Kansas had a fourth and five at the Baylor 13-yard line, down 14-0. It was like, okay, of course you go for this, right? Your defense is struggling. You need a touchdown. Yeah, you need some positive. Kansas lines up to go for it, and they fall start. So now it's fourth and 10. So now it's like, okay, well, now we have to kick the field goal. Fourth and 10 is really tough to convert. Um, But then Baylor goes offsides on the field goal. So now it's fourth and five. And you're like, well, we went for it on fourth and five before. Why would we not go for it again? But they're like, nah, we're just going to kick it this time, actually. <laughs> so a 30-yard field goal, good. But I think you look back and you're like, yeah, probably wish we would have got Dude, six there. There's a bit of a cheesy method you can do in NCAA football 14 <laughs> with the CPU in the game where sometimes if they line up to go for it on a fourth down and you call timeout, they'll kick a field goal. <laughs> it's awesome. So that's what Baylor did. They purposely jumped off sides. Awesome. Or something. So I don't be, know. Something. It'll be like fourth and four, <laughs> and the CPU will be like, oh, I'm going to go for it. And then I call timeout, field goal unit, okay. get on out there. That's interesting. Uh, so anyway, KU makes it 14-3. to They did hit the field goal. Then Baylor has a 16-play, 73-yard drive. They get a touchdown, 21-3. You have another three and out. Um, you did get an interception. Blake Shapen threw a couple of them that game. But even after the interception, you three and out. Yeah. And then Baylor goes down. 15 play because that was I think Jason Bean had like a great pooch punt on fourth down he did it was uh, a 41 yes. yard punt to the Baylor yes. one yes because so we had this discussion Jason Bean was a better punter yes. by net average than uh, Reese Vernon yeah Reese Vernon this game averaged 31 yards per punt Jason Bean had 41 on that one um so Baylor starts with their own one and it's like well if you can get a safety it's 21 five you get the ball back uh, instead Baylor goes 15 plays 99 no, yards if, if the opposing team is starting at the one that's bad because <laughs> t- think about it TCU scores on a 99 yard drive in their game that's true Baylor now you don't want to put a team on the one. Yeah. It's bad. 
So uh, it seems good, but great. I'm I'm telling you, it's not. Then they're down twenty-eight three. Another pass completed to Quentin Skinner for twenty yards. Fumble. So it's twenty-eight three. You did have a big play at the end of half. Uh, Craig Young got an interception of Blake Shapin, and that kept it from being even worse. I mean, it was already bad. It was twenty-eight to three at halftime. Um, that wasn't great. Baylor starts with the ball in the second half to make matters worse. They do go down, and, and that was the play where Jeremy Robinson gets the strip sack and picks up the football and runs it back a long way, which completely changed the game because then Kansas uh, just has a short field. They start at the Baylor 9, rushing touchdown for Devin Neal. Uh, Baylor punts. Kansas goes down 95-yard drive on 11 plays. Now all of a sudden it's 28-16. They miss the two-point conversion. They stop Baylor on downs. They go down eight plays, 93 yards. It's 28-23 on a touchdown. And it's like, okay, is Kansas going to do this? There's six and a half minutes left in the game. Crazy comeback. Uh, But then the defense struggled again. Seven-play, 69-yard touchdown drive for Baylor. Makes it 35-23. Kansas gets stopped on downs the next drive to officially finish it, though. The, the previous touchdown you allowed pretty much uh, mostly finished the game. And Baylor yeah. ends up winning 35-23. So the big takeaway that I had from this game was, and this is something that I've talked about repeatedly from various other games in the season and really just as an overarching theme, is previous iterations of KU football would have gone to the locker room down 28-3 to and they would have not come back out. <laughs> and it would have been more of the same in the second half, 56-10 final score, 63-10 final score, Baylor wins. Mm-hmm. And Baylor, clearly, I think, was expecting that, too, because Baylor didn't come out of the second half because they thought the game was over. (laughs) But credit to Kansas. They came back out. They didn't give up. They kept fighting. They really made it a game, really, in the second half, you know, a lot more than what you thought it was going to be. Uh, Obviously, didn't win the game, but still, you know, in previous seasons, KU football, they ain't coming out of the locker room in the second half. That game is going to be, that game, 56-3, to Baylor wins. right? Right. How many times have we seen that? Literally every game, basically, especially against Baylor. I mean, even worse against Baylor. Baylor's had a couple games where they won by almost 60. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that was my big takeaway was, okay, you got blasted in the first half. You executed about as poorly as you could. Things just went sideways from the get-go. But you didn't give up. You came back on the second half on the road and put together a pretty solid half and, you know, like I said, made it, made it a game. Made it a game. Yeah. Um, now, what um, other things, I guess, to take away for like the long term? I think the Jason Bean inconsistencies were clearly something. Yes. Struggled in the first half, really good in the second half. Uh, the fumble issues that we've talked about all year long in, in those previous games, they finally yeah. caught up to them. Which normally it had been a running back's fumbling problem. Yeah. Here it was the receivers. I mean, if, if you have... If you don't have those two fumbles, you might win the game. You only lost by 12 even with them, right? Yeah. Uh, so it could have changed it. I remember Jason being great in the second half, but the pass blocking was superb. Jeremy Robinson, to me, this was his breakout game. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he had the forced fumble, the strip sack. Like, he was really good that game. This kind of started a really strong second half for him. Um, and, and it's interesting because even though KU did end up making it close, you kind of were. This was also a game to me where it was like it was clear there still is a different physical level. Like Oklahoma was the game where you felt like there was a different physical level from maybe a speed perspective to yep. me. This was a game where you felt it from maybe a strength perspective because Baylor out yarded Kansas 437 to 288. Um, you could not run the ball. Siaki Ika, their gigantic nose tackle, just stuffed everything and you could not stop the run. I mean, they got time of possession is a flawed metric and stat and stuff. It's more of a, I think, 
um, storytelling stat than it is a predictive stat, but you were out time of possessed 41 minutes to 19 minutes, which is crazy I mean, Devin, for a team that yeah. likes to run the ball. I mean, Devin Neal had 10 carries, 32 yards. Yeah. And <laughs> Richard Reese had 186 yards. I will say in the positive light, um, even though the defense wasn't very good, they were at least opportunistic. They forced turnovers, yeah. Which, that's something that I would like to bring to this year's team. Like, if if the defense doesn't end up getting much better, if the defense isn't much improved from where it was last year, can you at least be more opp- opportunistic in yeah. terms of forcing turnovers? Like, this was a game you forced three turnovers. Yeah, If I mean, you listen, don't fumble forcing, twice, you might win the game. Forcing turnovers can make a bad defense less bad. Yeah, it's like a mirage <laughs> that might only last for one year, but... You know, that might be good enough when you pair it with this offense. Yeah. What you're trying to do. Um, so, I don't know. Any, anything else that, that it teaches us for, for this year? Run defense. Oh, for this year? Yeah. Um, Scares you about the run defense? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, again, I think, I've, I think I've already said this for a couple of these other games, but resilience, man. I mean, as a KU fan, you don't have to be worried about turning the game off at halftime because no matter what the score is, these boys are probably going to try to fight back. Which is not something you're used. You probably are used to seeing if you've been watching K football over the last decade. Mm-hmm. All right, well, the next game up in the series, I believe, is the Oklahoma State game, right? That was a fun one. Yeah, that was a fun one. So we'll have a fun one next week on our uh, Jayhawk Rewind. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout, and we've got a uh, interview coming up next with Marquez Webb, new assistant women's basketball coach with the KU women's basketball team. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that would be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter rcst1320am at gmail.com. That's rcst1320am at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, klwn.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of your day and see you next podcast.